I'm Steve McLeod and this is Bootstrapped. It's a podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies or wanting to run one. I run two bootstrapped software products, Feature Upvote, which lets your customers vote on ideas to improve your product, and Sabre Feedback, which offers a feedback widget you can add to your website. Follow along as I learn from talking to other bootstrappers and experts, and just maybe you'll learn something too. Joining me today is frequent guest co-host Ed Freifogel. Hey, Ed. How you doing, Steve? All right. Do you ever think about why you keep getting called frequent guest co-host? It's quite a mouthful. It, it is a mouthful, Steve. It's, it's, it's Frankly, it's a disgrace. <laughs> well, think about what it means, though. The guest doesn't need to bother with the editing and the publishing and all that hassle. You just have to come onto, onto the podcast, speak wisdom for half an hour, and then walk away done. All right. Well, I guess I, I guess I can live with it then. So <laughs> do you want me to tell you a bit about what I've been up to, Steve, or, or do you want to start? You go ahead. What have you been up to? Well, we're, in, we're all in a festive mood here today because it's my daughter's birthday. It's her oh. seventh birthday. So uh, Happy birthday to her. That's, that's kind of dominating the social agenda. But um, work-wise, what have I been up to? Actually, it's this week we had another edition of the event that we run, Geomob. The online event now, you know, which was always good fun, and it's kind of grim though. You know, I, you with time, you just miss the in-person events more and more, frankly. So yeah. So for those fun. who are not up to speed, Geomob has until this year been a in-person event in a couple of cities. Yeah, and and the the format of the event is we we have a few talks. And then we we go to a pub and have beers. So now we do the talks online, but obviously, you know, it's impossible to mimic the the camaraderie and the fun and the hanging out at the uh, the pub afterwards. Yeah, the, the um, having drinks via Zoom or via whatever uh, such software just to me doesn't work. You know, I just I want to be in that cozy pub environment and being able to casually strike up a conversation with somebody new in the group I haven't talked to before. Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't work at all. And it's just, the problem is also after a long day of sitting at the computer working, it's, it's, you don't want to hang out at the computer. It's a challenge. Yeah. So, and I guess there's no solution except wait. Yeah, I guess not. Um, and actually I've been thinking about this because the autumn is normally the time of events and it was, I think it was one year ago, actually today or, or right around this time anyway, that, uh, I went to microconf Europe in Croatia and it was just fantastic. It was a great event. Um, we got really lucky with the weather, went swimming in the ocean and stuff, but great talks, hanging out. Um, you know, and, and this year, obviously, it's not happening. So um, I've, I'm now attending some virtual events, and I have in, in the past couple of weeks. Uh, and it's just such a struggle, not yeah, just yeah. To, to make the event compelling, but also to try to, I mean, some of the events are more um, like industry events where, where normally you'd be in the mode of trying to, you know, network to get, find new customers, find new partners, things like that. And even that's, it's, it's difficult. It's, um, you know, I'm, I'm signing up for one now that's going to be next week and you've got to, you know, you can see the attendees and then you can try to set up one-on-one chats with people, but 
I don't know. It just feels on the one hand, it's good because you can say, okay, this person, you know, probably can become my customer. Let me have a one-on-one chat. And you have the 10-minute talk and you try to sell them the thing. But it, I don't know. There's no, it feels very transactional. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like you're deliberately doing sales rather than just having fortuitous, serendipitous conversations that exactly. sometimes lead to realizing they are interested in what you're selling. Exactly, exactly. Or, um, or you know, the experience of like at a at a big trade show or something where you wander around and see the different booths and all yeah. the the demos and things. And I mean, of course, sometimes. Obviously, people are trying to sell you the thing, but a lot of the things aren't really relevant for you. But they're still very interesting to see, you know. And yeah. and it just it gets you out of the day to day and stimulates your thinking. Whereas now, you know, your email is never more than you know one one browser tab away, and you're right back into work, and you don't get the mental shift at all. Yeah. So yeah, I'm hearing you. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. What about you, Steve? What you get? What you've been up to? Uh, last Monday was a public holiday here in Spain. It was the day of Hispanidad. So I didn't work, but I did have to check support emails for feature upvote. We had three support emails and I realized that all three of them didn't need to exist. If we changed the software, the application in a way or in certain ways. So I figured like I could have had the day off completely. Let's set about doing what I need to do so that next time the situation occurs, I have less support. So the three, the three emails we got, one person wanted to cancel. Like I've been talking for probably a year about making self-service cancellation happen. And I finally went ahead and did it this week. Somebody wanted to extend their trial. Again, it's something that I really don't need to be asked about. Uh, we just always, always had a policy that if your trial expires, you can just once get a new 30-day trial. So we just automated it. And the third one is adding a custom domain. And this one I'm a little bit more cautious about automating because it gives people the chance to create dodgy domain names that appear to be Amazon, but you know, they've used a, a zero instead of an O or something and start right. using us for, for uh, phishing. So this one I'm a little bit hes- hesitant about, although I think I'm going to go ahead and do it and just make sure that we get on our internal admin dashboard, we get alerts to say every time a custom domain names being set up. Yeah, or you could automate that all the setup work. And then, you know, when the user hits submit, then you tell them like, it'll be live in 24 hours. And then you just generate an email and someone in your team reviews it or something, you know. Uh, oh, I like that one. Oh, that made this conversation worthwhile for that piece of advice alone. I like that a lot. I, I think it's smart. We've done. We've spent a lot of time on this. I mean, we're, we're a very small team and we have a lot of users, a lot of free trial users and you know, I can't afford to spend a lot of time on on support for free trial users. And so we've we've really spent a lot of time on how do we automate everything to reduce that. You know, I saw a Twitter thread this week by what's named Kevin from Sure Swift, who I, I think you had on the on the show a couple weeks ago. That's right. He he said one of the things that he always notes when they buy these different SaaS companies is um you know, many companies are bad at support in terms of not having defined processes, not doing things like what you've said to eliminate it, not being able to quantify how much support they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of rang true with, you know, some of those things we've been very good at, at automating things. But right now our support, it just goes into, it, you know, it just comes to an email that, yeah. um, that we get. And so I don't really have any way to quantify it. Uh, so, so I added that to the list of kind of things for the coming months of maybe spend 
have a you know a support week where we just focus on how can we better quantify it, understand it, what are what are the remaining things we can automate away or allow self-service, all these kinds of things. If we uh in the past, we've used uh, Freshdesk that was with the product I sold, and that gave us those types of metrics, time to first response, how many tickets we were getting per per day over the month compared to the month earlier, et cetera. And it was helpful to, in fact, uh, I know the support person really started trying to get their time to first response down and took pride in it being lower. Well, you know, all stats can be gamed, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I can just set up an autoresponder that says, like, screw you, we're not fixing it, but it replies right away. Yeah, yeah. I think I also saw that, that thread by Kevin, and it made me think about how us bootstrappers often kid ourselves that we are offering exceptional support, world-class support, because you're talking directly to the product owner and, like, nobody understands it like we do. But I, I think it's sometimes not true. I think we often use that as an excuse to stop actually trying to make support better by, for example, not having to, having to happen at all and so on? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the problem that we have, of course, you have the issue that you always have these kind of weird one-offs. Like like the, the yeah. points you described, like someone who I need to cancel their account, clearly that should be self-service. But you always have these one-offs that it's, it's difficult to automate away. And then that, I do feel like we give good support in that case. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. They, they, that, that thread really did get me thinking and, and say we, we need to quantify it a bit more and understand and spend some time on it. Okay, I'll try to find that uh, and put a link to it in the show notes because it was a useful thread. They also have a new document on there on Kevin's website, Shaw Swift's website, about how to do support better. Yeah, I haven't read that yet. I also have it um, saved to, to read in more detail. So, Hey, Ed, I want to spend the rest of this episode getting advice from you. Well, I'm happy to give it. As, as the saying goes, Steve, advice is easy to give, hard to follow. Uh, look, I, I'll do my best to follow it unless I don't like it, and then I'll just ignore it. Perfect. Perfect. So as you know, with Sabre Feedback, the product I acquired about six months ago, we've spent the last six months getting the website into shape. We've revamped the design and the content um, architecture, and we've put in a process in place in which we can now start putting out good content that actually will hopefully keep increasing our Google traffic. Now I'm moving to the next phase, which is improving infrastructure for the product. And these are the things in which I think I'm at danger of doing things because they kind of sound fun to me as a developer and they're not necessarily the smartest thing to do for the business. Yeah, are so, you having some, some problems with the current infrastructure or something or what? Problems I can foresee, and for example, we have a very big database, much, much bigger than we should have uh, for the size of the product, and that affects the size of the backups and performance, possible performance, although, again, maybe I'm imagining a problem that's not there. Okay, let, let me give you an example. Our database is stored on a Linode server, a single server, uh -huh. and we self-manage that. Now, if we suddenly got an influx of customer support, uh, sorry, of feedback reports that we're gathering for our customers, you know, basically doing what Sabre Feedback does, it could potentially make a database much bigger, much quicker. And we hit the danger of running out of disk space. So we need to keep our eye on disk space and so on. And this kind of strikes me as an outdated model that uh, we might be smarter moving the database to a managed solution such as AWS's RDS. Like it's more expensive, but less hassle. What do you think about that one? I think you should set up an alert that 
you know, some sort of process that once an hour checks the disk space and sends you an alert and be done. Oh, yeah. Be done for the next six months. Don't waste your time moving to AWS. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think, you know, solve problems when they're truly problems. This doesn't sound yeah. like a problem. <laughs> okay. Let's move to another one where I thought about AWS. So, you know, we gather screenshots and we store them on our hard disk as PNGs and Right. This also strikes me as something in which if we got a sudden influx of usage or even somebody maliciously trying to do this, they could fill up our hard disk. Also, these are, it's nothing to stop people taking screenshots of dodgy websites. Um, I won't describe what dodgy means here. You, uh, listeners can use their imagination. And I'm not completely comfortable about this. So I thought one thing we might be able to do is move again to AWS or something similar, a cloud storage such as S3. It's cheap. There's less let worries. Me, wait, yep. let me understand this functionality. So one of your customers has your feedback widget on this yep. site. Yep. I go to that site and I report a bug mm-hmm. uh, or I give feedback. Yeah. How does the screenshot get generated? Your software then generates so a screenshot. It's, it's an option on the feedback widget. When you give your report, you have a button that says add screenshot and that takes a screenshot off the browser window and then that gets saved to the disk. So it only happens when the person giving the feedback report requests to add, actually chooses to add a screenshot. How often does that occur? A I lot. Mean, what percentage? Okay, a lot. Yeah. And there, but, but how would they then take a screenshot of a dodgy site? They can they can uh, configure it to take a screenshot of anything or something or what? Right. No, I think about that. That's not possible unless the our customer is running a dodgy site and then, well, that can be rectified yeah, in other I mean, ways. Can you restrict it just to the customer's domain or something like that? And then, you know, I guess you still have the issue. I mean, I, I guess I get the issue that you're getting at is that yeah. if someone, you know, has like child pornography or something and you are storing that screenshot I guess in some sense, you maybe you're liable for storing this content or something. Yeah, I'm trying to understand how that would even occur, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Now you've got me thinking that I may be imagining a problem again that doesn't actually exist. So then maybe it's it's not really a problem with dodgy stuff being stored, but there is a problem with a possible influx of a lot of screenshots coming in from somebody maybe deliberately trying to do this. Yeah, I mean, there I think you can solve that via some kind of rate limiting, right? Where like you know, no account can have more than, I don't know, 50 screenshots an hour or something. I don't know, something like that. I mean, we have this issue, you know, we have, for example, like feedback forms or we have to implement lots of um, rate limiting around people trying to like, uh, you know, sign up a hundred times for the free trial or things like that. Um, or, or we have a feedback form on our site. So someone sends us, can send us feedback and, you know, people have scripts or whatever that, you know, try to spam that or, you know, for what purpose, I, I don't know. But yeah. but nevertheless, it does happen. And so we implemented kind of rate limiting stuff there that would prevent, you know, after like the, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say like the 10th submission or whatever, it just stops sending them. Okay. And and the key is though, the, the user doesn't realize that. Yeah. It looks as if it still works, but it doesn't yeah, work. right, right. It's a, it's annoying to work on that kind of stuff because you're like, why am I having to spend time on this thing that, you know, it doesn't really improve the product at all. It just kind of, I'm spending my effort on things that are like preventing worst case scenarios by bad actors. 
Yeah. But I, you know, I guess that's just the cost of life on the internet. But, Look, it's, it's um, annoying, but this is why your customers are paying you so that they don't have to worry about this stuff and, and you do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I would implement some kind of rate limiting, maybe. Okay. Well, rate limiting, it was quite easy when we did it with feature upvotes using uh, Redis, this really common, good algorithm yeah, for of doing that. Common, common, you know, standard technologies for doing this type of thing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the appropriate one would be for your case, but. But anyway, I would, I mean, I think with all these things, I'd really try to understand, is this a, an urgent problem or a nice yeah. to have problem? Or, you know, are there simple workarounds that can solve 95% of the problem and yeah. save you a lot of time and effort? The, um, uh, the database and the screenshots are stored on the same drive. Um, so, you know, they could cause each other's problems, but in terms I mean, of- I totally, I totally get the urge, Steve, that, you know, Jeff Bezos is not going to become a trillionaire on his own, right? Like we need to give him the money <laughs> to make that happen. But and I'm doing my part. But you know, he also has to earn it. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So okay. I don't know. I, so far, I haven't seen a, a big project here that I would dive into urgently. Okay, um, moving on. We're using a JavaScript framework called Ember for the uh, the dashboard that our customers use to manage their feedback boards, uh, their feedback widgets and, the, and to actually view the feedback. Now, okay. we've got a, we do have a problem here. We're stuck on version one of Ember. They're currently on version three and they're not backwards compatible. And upgrading actually looks like quite a, a serious amount of work. I talked to the previous owner of Sabre and he says he really regrets having used Ember. He came to despise it and wished he had never used it. So I don't like being stuck and not able to, to keep putting the updates to a product as they fit security problems and bugs and whatever. Sure. So I'm wondering whether I should make a project to get rid of it and to, okay, we've got rails on the back end and Ember on the front end. And I think for the size of our product, we do not need this like single page application approach. We can just make rails do the whole thing. Yeah. But, Let me ask a question. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe you want to show these numbers or not, but are a lot of your customers accessing this dashboard? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, so I guess the first thing is I would find out is how many people are using the dashboard, how frequently, and not because I don't agree with the problem, yeah. but to, to help prioritize how important is this problem. Yeah, well, the you dashboard's know, if, important for new users because that's what they use to set up uh, their feedback uh, forms. And, yeah, fair enough, fair and enough. So, so let, let's say we, we determine this is an important problem. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree. One issue is you need to get rid of Ember 1, Ember version 1. Yeah. I guess the question then is, should you replace Ember totally or should you go to Ember version three? If it sounds like no one in your team knows Ember, it's going to be a lot of work. to up It's going to be as much work to upgrade as it is to switch to something else. Then I would switch to something else that your team feels comfortable with. Okay. And I would go for the simplest thing possible. I mean, yeah. if you can do this all, I mean, I don't understand why, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I have my head in the sand or whatever, but I'm, I haven't been, I haven't jumped on this JavaScript, JavaScript framework bandwagon and the single page app or whatever. I would just go with the standard, you know, uh, lamp or like CGI style uh, Rails app that, um, yeah, the old school, like with requests, with response, you know. and so on. Yeah, I've looked on. Um, I looked on Odesk for to see what's around in terms of people who know Ember, and especially Ember and Rails. And there's not very many people at all coming up with Ember knowledge, whereas there's a ton of people with Rails knowledge. So I think it's also 
you know, could be hard to find the right developer. I'll find somebody, but uh, if I need a freelancer yeah, to really help with this. That's the key thing, isn't it? I mean, how, how you want, all you want is a standard technology that works well, yeah. that, that members of your team understand and yeah. then, then be done with it. I mean, um, the, the thing is, I don't, you know, no one is using your feedback widget because they're impressed by the the cutting edgeness of the dashboard. Yeah, great. Right? You just want it, You just want a working solution that doesn't cause problems. That makes. So I would go with a very standard technology there. Yeah, it makes work for us on an ongoing basis as simple as possible, and makes upgrades easier, etc. Yeah. Okay. No, at least that's one thing in which I'm not making work just for the sake of it, in your opinion, which is good. Well, hey, like, we, I, I did say I would very. The first thing I would do is establish: is this an urgent thing, or can it wait? You know, maybe maybe the, the status quo is fine for the next six months. Yeah, yeah, which so. is, I think it is. Nothing needs to be done in a hurry. Moving on to uh, data retention. So currently, let's say somebody signed up for Sabre Feedback 10 years ago and they've been using it. We've still got in our database every single feedback report they've got and on our yeah. disk, every single screenshot that was taken. And I can't for the life of me see why we should be keeping data that users have submitted for to our customers 10 years ago. So, or even five um, years ago. Wait, so, so these are paying customers these are paying customers or, or also people who are on like free trials and things like that paying customers and some people on a legacy free plan okay yeah i would i mean this sounds like a great differentiating feature between different price tiers i would say you know by default if you're on on the the let's say the normal plan then you're you know it's deleted after one year um or you can upgrade to the the super pro plan and we keep it for forever or whatever, okay. but it has a higher price. Okay. Okay. Uh, that sounds really good. So I thought that I would, um, once I work out what exactly the policy would be, I will notify everybody via uh, an alert on a dashboard and an email saying like, for whatever reason we're doing this, we're going to be tighter in how long we keep data and this is a situation. Some people might not like it, but I think it's, I just, I'm not comfortable with keeping all this data around so long. Right, it's just going to grow endlessly. Yeah, but yeah, so I would whatever the reasonable time frame is, you yeah. know, whether it's one year or maybe it's two years or something, and say, look, the default is this. If you really need it longer, no problem, but you have to pay. Yeah, and, and the nature of our product is that people usually deal with the feedback immediately. It's not something they want to come back to in a year or two's time to see what somebody wrote as feedback back then. And almost yeah, everybody maybe. is using the email integration, so they have all this in their email anyway. Right. Yeah. So maybe one year is way too long. Maybe you should say three months or something. I don't know. Okay. And that brings me to our legacy free plans. Until May 2019, there was a free plan. It didn't do much, uh, but it worked and it had a big branding like screen you get to after you give the feedback. You as the feedback giver basically see a, an advert for Sabre feedback. Okay. Uh, we've got about 200 people who signed up to those free plans and uh, only about 20 people seem to have used it in the last three months though. And they were never okay. made any promises about free for life. I'm I'm thinking like, I don't really want to offer free, like support these free plans. Like it costs us money to run the show. So I'm thinking about removing those people or trying to convince them they need to switch to a paid plan. What do you yeah, think? I would I would try to upsell them. I would contact all them and say, look, there's been a change of ownership. Um, 
you know, nevertheless, you know, you were a believer in, in Saber Feedback back in the day. So we'd love to love that you stay on the journey with us, but it can't be for free. Okay. So, you know, happy to offer you our small plan or maybe you even give them some kind of discount or something. I don't know, but, but you say like on 1st of January or whatever, either you've upgraded or it's done. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And like some people might not like it. Well, so what, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, you don't so get what? free forever. Mm-hmm. Like if you want something free, find yeah. somebody else who's willing to do it. Where I'm trying to run a business here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward to me that you can't, um, you can't uh, keep supporting them forever for free. I mean, by the way, Steve, it occurs to me, your first problem of the database size, won't that partially be solved by, by these issues? I mean, getting rid of these free people, getting, you know, deleting old data from the, the customers. I mean, won't that yes, significantly yes. be in the database? So yes, it fine. will. So, Problem solved. so these are a bunch of things I'm thinking of and, uh, I haven't yet worked out which ones I will actually do and which ones are priority, but you're right. Uh, the data retention approach is a different solution to the same problem as the database. Yeah. Which now brings me to price in general. Our current price points are $29, $59, and $199. And I'm thinking about increasing it for new customers to $49.99, $249. So the cheapest price instead of being $29 would be $49. And my thinking is, the lifetime value of a $29 month plan for a B2B product is too low to offer much scope for uh, paying for customer acquisition costs. Yeah. What's your view on that? Uh, I, I guess my initial reaction is it's really hard to know without having the context of the conversations you've had with, I mean, have you had, if, if my understanding is correct, you have not had a lot of people signing up the last couple of months as customers. So I guess I would, is there any way we can establish why are people currently not becoming customers? Is it because of price? Is it, is it you're lacking certain features or something? I mean, basically I don't know, is, is 29 already perceived as being too high? Also, you know, of course, what is the competitive landscape? Yeah. What, are your, what are your competitors charging? I don't, I don't feel like I have enough background. I mean, in general, of course, yes, it makes sense to have a higher price, but it's difficult for you to have a very high price if all your competitors are offering a low price. And, if people are already rejecting the service because they perceive the price as being unreasonable, then obviously increasing the price isn't going to help that. Good point. What I've been thinking of doing is writing to every single person whose trial finished without them buying over the last couple of months and continuing to do it for the future for a while and asking them what, why they didn't buy or what they thought, what could have we done bet different? I don't know. I have to work out the exact wording just a simple question to try and get that information. And if they say it's too expensive or didn't do what I wanted to do, or there was this critical problem, then I start to find that out. Yeah. I I would do that first before I played with the price because, you know, it may well be, you can easily increase the price and it it may actually even be that, you know, a higher price creates the perception of that the the product is more valuable and more um, trustworthy. But it may not be. It may be that people are already like, oh, this service should only cost ten dollars. I can't pay twenty nine. Yeah, so. that's a problem. If people are saying that, that's a real problem. Although it changes the nature of your marketing and approach. Well, what what about competitors? Right? What kind of pricing do they offer? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer. I guess. I mean, I'm trying to understand. Do you even really have competitors in the sense that? 
And yeah. are people choosing between having a feedback widget and not having a feedback widget, or are they trying to choose between different feedback widget providers? Right, right. Yeah, that would be interesting to know too. So, yeah. Um, I get, yeah, I, I think I think some more research is warranted there. And definitely, definitely people who sign up for a free trial and and for whatever reason don't um don't then move on to become customers. It, those are people definitely you should be trying to establish a dialogue with to understand what, what the issue was. I think as soon as we finish this conversation, I will uh already do that with the trials that ended in the last few days. So I'll write to each of them. Yeah. That, I mean, that should also be something you can easily automate, right? I mean, yeah. you need to make sure it doesn't read like a, a form mail because, you know, but it, I would keep it very short and just be like, you know, hey, Steve from Slayer Feedback here, uh, you know, I saw you didn't, you quit after your free trial. Do you have five minutes to talk to me and tell me why? Something yep. very, very brief. Yeah. And yeah. Sound personal, but clearly you can automate that. Right? Yep. Okay. Uh, so I think I have time for one more question. Oh yeah. Should we add yearly pricing plans? I figure I know the answer. Currently we have monthly only. I don't know why this monthly only it's the way it always was. It's what I inherited when I bought the product. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Definitely. And um, get who are your customers? I mean, who are the existing customers, institutions and organizations? I mean, it's not private people. Uh, no, no, they're institutions, organizations, companies, often quite big ones. Yeah, so for them, definitely probably an annual plan is much uh, much simpler, much more desirable. And um, yeah, I would definitely do that. Yeah. I, I don't see a reason not to. Okay. that's uh, At least we have one very clear yes there out of my questions. Hey, Ed, I've really appreciated this. You know how tempting this is as a developer to always want to find developing, develop uh, coding work to do, even when it's not necessarily what you need to do to move the product forward. So it's good being able to bounce it off somebody who I think is, do, I mean, do you suffer the same problem? Well, our team is so small. We have to be quite rigorous in, I, I don't know. We, I think a lot about the fact that it's very easy to build things. It's very hard to maintain them. So we try to think a lot about like, before we build anything or do anything, how are we going to maintain this in the long run? Um, sometimes I do think we actually kind of err too much in the direction of not building. And, and not doing things. And instead we should, maybe we should be doing new things. And maybe that's on our existing product. Maybe we should be, um, you know, offering uh, other products, you know, that are complementary to our existing product. Um, and it's, it's always very hard, difficult to, to find the exact right balance of, you know, that this is one of the great joys of, of having your own small bootstrap business is there's so many things you get to work on, right? Be it all the different aspects of the business. But that also brings with it the responsibility of you always have to decide what should I work on? Yeah. And, and it, you yeah. know, even if this is a good thing to work on, maybe there's something else that's even better or, you know, that's going to take the business forward more quickly. Yeah. So it's hard, man. It's hard. And then, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before, but decision fatigue is also real. You get, you get um, tired of having to decide all the time. Yeah, I think you said think, that after a day of working, when your wife asks for your opinion as to where you should eat dinner, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I just I can't yeah, make I any care. more decisions. It's care. like I've got no more decision-making left in me. Yeah. I, I um, feel like that a lot too after a day uh, of, of working. 
I I do think also you're you have to keep in mind why you why you wanted to have your own business. Like at some point, it also has to be enjoyable to you. So yeah. you have to. I think it's totally fine if if there some of the time is spent on projects that perhaps are not mission critical, but they're enjoyable for you. You know, right, right. Um, and I and agree. and maybe that's also the space where the learning happens, right? Where you know you're like, oh, let me see what I can do here, and then you know you start going down that path and you realize, oh, we could do this or that or whatever. But of course, yeah, there is the risk that you say, oh, I'm 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 a good developer. Let me spend all my time on development. I mean, that's not going to work. Um, you you need to the business needs to have balance, and you need to make sure you you should always be aware. Like, what is what is the the limiting factor right now in the business? Is it you know I'm not getting enough you know, there's not enough awareness of the product or, you know, we're not doing enough sales or, you know, maybe it is the product is lacking a certain feature and we need to build that feature. But um, first let's find out whether that's actually the case or whether we're just assuming that's so to give us the justification for coding. Exactly. Yeah. So, but okay. these don't sound like big problems, Steve. These sound like fairly straightforward things that you, that you have ahead of you. Yeah. Good. And, yeah. They're always... I do think for a lot of them, there's probably good enough solutions that will solve the problem 95% and then you don't need to deal with it again for six more months or whatever. Yeah, I don't see them as problems. I just see them as like improvements that I should consider now that we've done the bulk of, well, a really good job on getting the website and the marketing uh, starting to happen. It was time to start looking at these things. Yeah. Well, I guess my main advice would be um, for each project... Think about what is the cost of that project, like how long will it take you to do it or whatever, and what new costs will it generate, but also what is the ongoing maintenance going to be? Yeah. And factor that into your decision because, um, as we know, SAS is a, you know, it's a long, it's a marathon, you know, so, you know, make sure that you're not creating a solution that two years from now you're going to be like, oh my God, this is killing me. Yeah. Okay. I think that's all we have time for today. So let's wrap this up. Listeners, if you have any feedback for me on the things we've been talking about today, or you'd also like to give me some advice on these issues, please get in touch via Twitter or our discussion forums. Okay, bye, Ed. Take it easy, Steve. Bye. See you, everyone. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Thank you.